Hello, welcome to Solomon's Temple. The greatest aspect of the philosophical discipline in general, or the greatest subfield that has the most emphasis and power over what we are doing when we are philosophizing and looking at how we're thinking, epistemology. Epistemology, as a definition, is the theory of knowledge with regards to the method, sources of validity, the scope of knowledge, the limits of knowledge, the nature of our claims, and how are we to arrive at distinguishing a justified belief from an opinion or what is true over what is false. And if we could have a categorical syllogisms and logic deductively that prove truth from false or that the, that, that way of understanding is coherent or not, and we employ different methods of understanding how we arrive at knowing something. And this is especially applied into the court system, that we use symbolic logic to effect, and we use epistemology to generate proofs and show beyond a shadow, shadow of a doubt that we can insist on this, that we can believe and justify that it is true that these suppositions hold to the effect that we claim they do, that this client is in fact guilty, or that you cannot show that my client is guilty because the evidence that you have is supposedly evidence, but here's how I'm going to cast doubt on it. Epistemology can be a dark art of the state. Really good lawyers understand and plumb the depths of how we are supposed to be skeptical on the claim of guilt, skeptical on the proof that's being presented, and how are we to show that that in fact occurred and provide an alternative story and say, can you prove that this didn't happen? And how are you to show me that beyond a shadow of a doubt that this can't be real, that this can't be, be true, that this, this really happened? How do you show me? We'll go in further, I suppose, on, on what we mean by that. But there are tons of ways, there are lots of isms and ists that go along with the theory of knowledge. There is coherentism that does what you are claiming to be the case, or your belief about something in particular. Does it amount to clarity? Does it have a clear basis to exist? Is everything around it, other idea structures or points of view surrounding it, does it support it? Does it detract from it? Does it build it up more? Does it surround it with certainty? Or would it take away by some sort of alternation of ideas? There's contextualism, where certain claims fall apart based on what kind of requirement you have in saying that you know something. And there's a famous example of how do you not know that you're just a brain in a vat? And if you didn't know that you weren't a brain in a vat, that you didn't have access to any of, any of those things and couldn't show, no, I can't be a brain in a vat because, then you have within a context, well then, if I can't say for sure that I really have two sets of hands here, because in some other context, I cannot show that it is not the case that I have hands. Hands are now unreal, and it's relevant to the fact that if I do not know that I am not a brain in a vat, then it would be the case that, in fact, I could be skeptical about anything and whether or not I have hands because I'm really just a simulation after all when really I know that I am not a simulation. I'm a product of something else and maybe my fervent belief that that is the case and that I do know in fact we're not simulated or in a vat is the justification of it's coherent based on what I know about biology, what I could logically deduce about reproduction, and how unnecessary the claim of being a brain in a vat or a part of some other sci-fi scheme and how I'm supposed to be living here is really playing out. I can deduce coherently and construct a worldview that within the context of knowing that's 
that's the case, that I know for a fact I have hands, rather than undermining my skepticism and saying, well, I don't have hands, I don't have anything at this point, because I could claim that I don't know that I am somewhere else, and that reality is based on some other coherency that I'm unaware of. And with empiricism, that if everything's being dictated and controlled by an evil genius, or if I am a brain in a vat, or that there is God up above and around us, that I can set forth on experience to describe why I am supposed to think of those things as being true, or why I'm justified in believing them. That I have an experience, see the reality of the unseen episode, as seen in episode 32, William James. That is an, an empirical observation on how we are supposed to attach a justified belief on something according to empiricism. But the empiricism isn't grounded in a sort of scientific empiricism. It isn't done through the scientific method. So with the scientific method, you would ground that in repeatability, observability. There's criteria for demarcating, right? And it needs to be falsifiability as well, that if you cannot falsify it by any other means and it's strictly in your head that it's true, it's not a good scientific theory. It doesn't meet the criteria for science as a science epistemology, rationally, observation-based, empirically, data-driven, rigorous, repeatable, verifiable, falsifiable, and so forth. And we all know about, do we have a choice and do we have control over what's going on? Or is it an overall force of causation way beyond what we can see and therefore no free will necessarily exists and your choices are determined? Is there freedom or is there just determination? Well, I don't know. How do how are we supposed to know? And I think that's why the discussion's still raging on is we are not we do not know how we understand our causes and how we are driven to cause ourselves beyond what we understand about ourselves. And I think therefore there is more of a determination aspect to everything that goes on, and it can be explained. If you get more accurate scientifically, I suppose, you could even see it uh, more further there in the way our, our chemical responses are happening. And maybe in some other unobservable way, there are other things that are compelling us to act and so forth, but in essence, there are forces that drive you to be certain ways, and these could be explained by determination. And then freedom sort of dissipates after that. But of course, you could expand out on, on viewing how you act or what you decide to do with your day or where you, what subject you take or what classes you take in, when you go to school or what you know whether or not you took the position as supervisor, you know, you have reasons beyond the scope of what other agents see as being a reason for doing things you do, so you have a freedom in selecting one thing to the next. So yes, there is that overall, but individually, what is it? And I think when you get down to that, that's how you understand determination. And then on the converse, that's how you understand the freedom as more of a relational aspect, more how do we understand freedom through a relational epistemology versus a determinist individualization or causal role? And what is the limits of our knowledge? Well, I suppose the limits are imposed on yourself and in you not seeking answers or not reading or being lazy <clears throat> or not developing your faculties or not trying or not listening to people or having a certain epistemology you're not coming off of in observance of another epistemology. That maybe there are certain things that are fallible. There's ways in which things could be exposed and changed. That maybe everything is that way from the view of one epistemological lens. But maybe there isn't necessarily a fallible course 
But back to the scope of our knowledge and the limits, I'd say we've come a long way technologically to get ourselves to start viewing things we can't with our naked eye. We are exploring nature more readily by augmenting what we know about optics and about other instrumentations that cause us to understand phenomena. We can peer out into the stars and start looking at what's beyond. We're understanding space much gr on a much greater capacity and accuracy than we ever have to the extent that we have the power of instruments that allow us to see it. And we know, of course, the observer effect now and how observation actually can singulate what you're observing because everything's a potential waveform and there's tons and tons of potential outside of the collapsibility of the observer effect, that photons behave differently and so forth, your capacity that even the instruments and faculties of your own mind, of your, of your own instrumentation, your eyes, your taste, anything like this has an X amount that it allows you to experience and then there's something else that can come along that could hint at you or show you through a microscope or a telescope or whatever what is beyond your capacity that it gives you a window into everything beyond what you can pick up so maybe the limits of knowledge in a scientific sense at least and even in a mental sense I suppose perceptually spiritually even maybe if we could call if we could call to that and appeal to that epistemology that we believe things we are ready to learn and know or are capable of learning and knowing at a given time. So it would be, are your instruments attuned to what is ready to be seen? Are you ready to see it? And if you were to show people from the past the instruments that we have now and say, look at this, we can see the underworld here. Look, look at all these microorganisms. This is what causes sickness, not, not demons or strange afflictions or humors or whatever it was back in the day, pre-Galen, and, you know, post-Copernicus, like those people, look at what we have out here. Look at the images we have captured with what we have sent out into space. We have sent it out and we have found out what space is about through the Hubble telescope. Look at the images we captured. We have proof of what the universe is about now. Look at how space is. And of course, they wouldn't know what they didn't know back then because we couldn't show it. So in a sense, science as an epistemology has a lot of power in influencing what we are to believe because they have arrived at a sort of capital T truth on certain claims because it has been brought to the fore and conclusively shown through observation. It has a lots and lots of power. Now, what, what kind of purpose is this knowledge and what does it mean for us? Well, it can mean a lot of things. It's a forward-facing sort of mutation to know what is involved with space on the given chance that we have to leave this place because maybe we've outworn our welcome and we have to leave and we have to be able to go to another planet. How can we get that off the ground? Will that emergent sphere of behavior and infrastructure of human effort, can we grant ourselves the purpose of creating all these, these things, these recent scientific improvements in order to fulfill the acquisition of successfully arriving at a new planet in one where we could persist breathing and living? Can we find another earth? And this has become a preoccupation, a purpose. And what is the limits of, of human behavior? Well, we could destroy ourselves or we can use our knowledge to a better effect and not destroy ourselves we can see the effects of our own power now and we have the power to correct these effects we have the power to do almost anything we set our minds to given that we can see it and what is the limits of our sight 
what is the limits of our knowledge and our perceptibility and our ability to make the right choices, to get the right determination. Occam's razor is one epistemology where it's simplicity, that if you can break it down a claim, you could break down a claim to where if it's most simple, it tends to be most effective, or it's more likely to stand on its own two, two feet and be less fallible, perhaps, if it is more simple rather than complex. There will be less caveats where you could exploit some sort of inconsistency in what you're talking about. There is a priori and a posteriori claims, where a priori, more famously by Immanuel Kant, we'll go ahead and stick with the father of this, a priori claims by definition are true. Bodies are extended out into space. We can see that things are extended out, they have shape and so forth. A posteriori, everything has a weight. Well, some things are heavy, that is descriptive and that might be true of itself, but what exactly is heavy? Heavy might not be heavy in one aspect, something might not be hard in another aspect. Hardness is in relation to something else. It's a relation to the world. It changes based on its relative aspects. It isn't implied in its own definition that it will be what it is always, but it's not impossible to be what it is, if you know what I mean. If you're W.V.O. Quine, a famous philosopher of science, he sort of eroded the distinction between the analytic-synthetic language gap, suggesting that maybe the extent of what our language is able to tell us would be able, by definition, to distinguish that our language is really describing what the truth condition of what we're talking about. Can our language collapse what we're talking about into being true of what it is? And can we actually distinguish the a priori definition of things, our language? language dependent descriptions giving it its truth can that really be or is it actually factored into a posteriori nature that it is the very fact of our describing it that is giving it its nature and that it really isn't in some sense rather than being all extended things really is kind of like the claim of that everything is heavy or that things have a heaviness that there's like a gradation of what we're explaining whether it is or is not is based on the relationship but maybe the way things are will always Always be based on who is talking about it or what is being said about it, that things are related to the speech act that is defining it or talking about it that maybe the world is made up of words and not nearly made up, and then we describe it as such, and then the limits of the reality would be the limits of what you attach on it with your words. 7 plus 5 will always be 12 by definition of the mathematical fact, but yet the territory of existence knows no 7s and 5s as we'd have it. In some conceptual scheme, it is framed as such, and I suppose that following those rules, you have your answer. There is probability that we have a way in which we can measure if a die will land on a certain side, but we don't think about the behavioral aspect and the environment in which the die is. When we look at a die arriving at the number 6, once we pick up the dice again, the probability that the dice landed on 6 was 1, 100%. It wasn't 1 over 2 or 1 over 8 or anything, it was just it, it happened. The probability that that event happened at that time after it happened will always happen. It'll always happen because it, it was determined. So along the way, if we describe the tumbling of the dice, and we say it was all these forces that generated the six, and if it were to happen again in a similar way, or if we vary the physical actions to the point where it would generate six again, that in those causal ways, it is 100% certain that it would be six. Or maybe the dice are loaded, or there's a chip 
on it that flicks it over to a couple other parts of the dice more readily, then the probability system would break down. It's not cut and dry enough to be random enough to be one out of six for every part of the die. It would change the way in which we interact with probability. And that in this way, the epistemology of probability is a race through the knowledge of what causes it and what would cause it to happen every time. Maybe then that random forces are hard to describe, but also when you're not looking at how you're causing things, that it'd be impossible to know that you'd get a royal flush on one given hand, that in some way part of your thing is skill that you know how to play, but also it's the, the matter-of-factness of how cards are drawn in a way you can't comprehend. So luck in some instances instances happen in a certain order would happen if random be generated mathematically 1 out of 13 plus 1 out of 13 plus 1 out of 13 that you would get x card y card and z card in that order or so forth or that you would get a pair of cards or three of a kind you can calculate this in a sort of bayesian theorem and you can look up bayesian theorem or bayes bayes theorem or or whatever online you could you could read into that maybe i'll do a podcast later on on bayesian theorem and try to describe it for anyone interested interested in getting a quick run through on that mathematical model or whatever. So uh, we don't know the limits of what we could be sure on if knowledge is this provisional epistemologically. And within context, it erases the certainty of how we are to know something by generating a skepticism of how we're supposed to know and apply our reasoning epistemologically. It can change how we are supposed to know our knowledge, how we are to generate and approach certain matters of fact based on how we are approaching it and what is the most appropriate way to view something through an epistemological lens is what I'm doing and what we do daily a sort of natural compersion or an effect brought on that we can necessarily explain and give to people or is it just a natural process happening in a married amount of ways that are supposed to unfold the way they do and not to systematize them not to create a culture around them or to try to contain them in some way how are we supposed to conduct ourselves how do we know who we are and what we're supposed to be and act like who are we as people there's an epistemology to this some people would mystically say you are what you are you are in fact everything but you are also not you are everything experiencing itself in this particular way and other people would be like well we build our world through our experimentation and experience or other people say it just unfolds naturally it just kind of happens and you do what you do you're compelled to do it however you do you just make your own choices some people say you have no choice even though you are making choosing to do things that choice was laid out before you because your life path and you know or something like that has been laid before you god has a plan and so forth and then people can look into the tarot they can look into astrology to see what you are likely to get engaged with what your talents are and where where you're going on your destiny there's so many ways of understanding what it is and generating meaning from this approach in some sense, epistemology can be understood as just a framework of knowledge in general. What you think, how you know something, what you know, the limits of what you know, how you know it, how you choose to approach it, the account you have for understanding what you're thinking, the argument you present, being acquainted with something, understanding something. Do you Did you digest and understand what I said? Did I relate it to you as an acquaintance? Logic, the logos. Is there an innate concept? Are there innate ideas? 
born into us, which would mean that we have a universal universal shared understanding of things. Do we have that? Is it purely relational that we build and construct our worldviews? There is a synchronic language. How something is described at one point, at one time, through one relationship, through one acquaintance, and then diachronic, how that similar instance or that point in time that was described, events or or whatever, it, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be biological, just purely phenomenal, an event, anything. The diachronic aspect is multiple points of description of the same thing, looking at all those and seeing how one point can evolve into another point later. How points of language and description, accounts of things can change over time. One very easy one to think about right now would be the game of telephone. When someone speaks into it first, the other one is, is relaying it, then the other one is relaying that same message, and then that message gets relayed and then another message appears and at the end of the telephone it's something completely different and that's a way to show how the description and the fallibility of what is being described or how it is seen or whether one instance originally turns into some other instance that someone doesn't uphold a certain view based on whatever it was in that point or at that moment that changed it that there's different points of view but then of course there's there's telephone where one gets altered in one point of time point in time, the the origin of the thing, the description, the event, synchronistically, and then over time it gets relayed to more, multiple people, and that event is no longer that event or that description. It's turned into something else. It is now something else. It has evolved into something else. Or there's multiple points on the same object, and then when you hear all these, you then take those points, and then those get tempered out into something else, diachronic. You see what, what that is. So what do I think? Can I be skeptical of everything? No, I don't, I don't think so. We have to live functional lives. We have to uptake people at their word. I was always taught that your word is your bond and we are nothing. We are relational beings. We live for relationships and you don't have strong relationships without a bond and your word is your bond. And if I can't believe you or trust you or I can't have my foundations of understanding and relating to anyone and there's no foundation to any of that, and I have to be purely skeptical, then my reason for living isn't there. My bond isn't, isn't there. I don't have a relationship to life. If I can't take something at its word and I can't believe it, I can't project anything in reality that is true. And, and therefore, I'm not bonded into anything. I have no meaning. I can't function. I can't uptake things the way that they're supposed to. I will be living as an enemy unto myself. I'll fall for anything at all. I won't have a point of view. Things fall apart and they're in completion when you are able to uptake something as being true. That you have to at least pretend that your life has meaning and that the things that you are basing the effect of your mind on are really happening. I think my epistemology is as well, I maybe I speak for a lot of people here. My epistemology is you will find things out by employing all of what the epistemological theory has as its concern. You will have to see if the truth of what you're proposing that if something is the case, that it really is the case after all, and not that if you suppose that if you introduce more information that you will eventually get a false conclusion, or that everything's fallible, you cannot know anything, you will always be purely skeptical. You have to insist on also your experience, the profoundness of your direct experience. You gotta have ideals. You gotta have a foundation for your existence. Context does matter. You do build your wor world. You have to be clear and coherent. You have to understand nature. You have to be skeptical. Sometimes upon not knowing, you have to weigh out 
what is more likely, what isn't. And then you have to sort of show up for your thoughts and be, well, why do you think that? Justify why that isn't just some piecemeal opinion I'm supposed to uptake on some faulty ground or some unjust grounds. Tell me why you think that. Tell me why you believe that. Show me. You have to work with the way you're acquainted with existence the way you relate to everything else and everybody. There is a point in time where you understand something synchronically. There is an evolution, a diachronic aspect to what you know and what you believe socially, biologically, and more generally as a, as a ph phenomena of existing and being in the world. You have a thrownness into this world and you sort of hit the ground running and it is up to you to sort of create what it is you know in your mind, but also to have w with you the definition of of your own self, the definition of your thought of existence, what it's for, where you're going, what is in existence, what exists overall ontologically, what is the purpose or meaning behind what you do and where we are going, why is it important teleologically, what is right, what is wrong, how are we supposed to view good and bad ethically? How is it we are supposed to arrive on how we are to conceive what is good, what is bad? Epistemologically, how do we understand what we know? What is evil? Is it ignorance? Then evil's less, less ethical and more of an epistemology of how things occur. What is justice? How do we hold ourselves accountable? What are the accounts on our accountability? Is existence like a mirror? What do we make of these things? What does our intuition tell us? I'm not here to tell you about all those things. We are here to tell ourselves, but we are also here to relate what we are seeing to each other. We are a mirror unto ourselves. We are here to enrich our realities, and we can do that more than ever through this information age. The sharing of these, this information it is like a golden age of philosophy for everyone right now. Thank you for tuning into this one. I'll see you next time.